This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Just think of all the comments that we make to our kids. Things like, just be yourself. If you believe it, you can achieve it. It will all be worth it in the end. Those comments may sound completely profound to well-meaning parents like us, but to a child with a real-life problem, pretty meaningless. At the other end of the spectrum, telling kids exactly what to do in every situation doesn't leave them any room to think for themselves. So if abstract comments and rigid prescriptive advice both fail to instruct or inspire or motivate kids, what does work? In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with Paul Smith, who has an answer to exactly that question. Based on his extensive research into storytelling, Smith is going to show us the power of a great personal story and how it can be used to reach and teach children. And the way that happens is by showing the hero struggling and succeeding in a way that's interesting and meaningful to them. This interview is going to be a little bit different than some of the others that we've done in that I'm going to encourage Paul to just tell us a lot of stories, and he's going to do that. Some of them are uplifting, and some are humorous, some are heartbreaking, and all of them are deeply touching. But most importantly, they are actually meaningful. So settle in and get ready to listen to some really terrific stories. We'll jump in when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Paul Smith, who's the author of Parenting with a Story, Real-Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. Paul, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. You know, this book is a collection of stories, but they're stories with a message, and they're not deliberately stories with a message. They're actually real-life stories of things that happened, and, and uh, you know, we talk about that 
in writing classes, and you talk about that, you talk about that in other situations where it's much more effective to give somebody an example of something that actually happened rather than s- try to say you should be honest, you shouldn't steal, you should take the initiative, you should apply for jobs you don't think you can get, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, in fact, I, I think that's both. I, I think they're, they're both, yes, they're stories, and yes, they're true stories, but I, I think they're also deliberate um, in that uh, I, I, would, I would encourage you to use them in a deliberate fashion as opposed to just telling somebody a story to entertain them. You know, these, these stories were chosen out of the literally um, nearly a 1,000 stories I collected throughout my interviews because they did have such a, um, a clear message in them that a, a significant life lesson or character lesson could be drawn. So, so they, they were chosen deliberately, and I think you should use them deliberately. But yes, they are stories, and I just think we, we learn better from stories than we do from... Yeah. Now you, you're the author of, of, of another book on stories called Lead with a Story. I'm just curious how you did the research for this. Did you say to people, look, I'm doing another thing on stories, and let's talk about ambition. Have you got a story about ambition? Or how did you elicit the stories? Yeah, that's a great question because the the questions that I started answering or asking at the beginning of the research for the book didn't work at all. I mean, I I, I, I tried kind of what you just said. I asked people to tell me their best stories, and I very quickly got nowhere. And what what I learned was that um, people don't think of um, of the most meaningful and growthful and insightful moments in their life as stories. They think of them as meaningful, memorable, insightful moments in their life. They don't become a story until they, they're, they're told by somebody else. So asking people to tell me a story really didn't work at all. I had to ask them, you know, tell me about a time in your life when you learned a very important but completely unexpected lesson, or what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and, and why, or, or describe a vivid memory you had as a child where, where you felt terrible about how you made somebody else feel. Or, so I had to ask specific questions to get at those, hmm. those meaningful life moments, and a story would emerge. But, yeah, when I asked for stories, uh, that, that didn't work at all. Well, let's have you tell us some stories as we go through this. The, I think one of the ones that appealed to me, actually there was kind of a, a series of these things. There was one on courage, on self-reliance, on integrity, uh, that kind of came back to this one little f- quote from Wayne Gretzky, the hockey player. Uh, at least it's attributed to him, where he said something along the lines of, you miss every shot you don't take. And I just thought that was so insightful, and it's you know a kind of I guess poetry, the, the poetry version of a story. I mean, it's just concise, it's short. It basically says, if you don't try anything, you'll never get anywhere. And I want you to tell us uh, one of the stories from uh, from Courage about that that particular idea. Is the one in particular you have in mind? Well, there w- there was one about the girl, the high school girl who applied for an internship that she shouldn't have got, or that mm-hmm. she that she wasn't qualified for. There was it was open only for college students, and people were discouraging her, and she ended up applying for it and got it. Yeah, so this this was in uh, New York, um, and she uh, and and you're right, she was a high school, uh, very bright high school girl, um, and she wanted this internship at a uh, it was a medical in in the medical field. Um, but her parents and a number of other people, adults, and her friends told her, so, you know, that the thing is listed for college students only. Um, you'll you'll never get it. Um, but she was determined to, to at least try. So she applied. She wrote this long essay about why she was so passionate about getting the job and um, just uh, really did her all to get this job. And it turns out she did get it. 
and she was super excited, and she was began the job and was working a few weeks into it, and ended up overhearing some two other people at that uh, company talking when they didn't know she was around to listen, and they were talking about her and essentially arguing about why she got the job. And, and kind of what one of them said was, yeah, she really wasn't that qualified for the job. And the other one said, well, yeah, but she was the only one that applied. So, you know, and, and imagine she's like hiding behind the, you know, the beakers in the lab there <laughs> listening to this conversation. And it became painfully clear to her that uh, all of her family and friends were right. She wasn't qualified for the job. But they were also wrong in that she did get the job. And it, ju- it taught her a lesson about, you know, h- half of winning is just showing up. That's another famous quote by somebody else who, whose name <laughs> escapes me right now. Woody Allen, I think. But it's just showing up, you know, is really half the battle. And so that, that was her character lesson from this is don't let people tell you just because you're not qualified or not the best qualified not to try because there are all kinds of things in life that, that go unstriven for. And I've, I've, I've probably made up a word there as well. But you, um, she learned that lesson. She's tried it a number of other times in her life, and she's, she's gone for, for bigger and better things than she ever thought herself possible uh, to, to achieve, and she's done them. And, and some of the time it turns out because nobody else wanted it for whatever reason. Which doesn't necessarily make it any less valuable. I mean, the fact it that wasn't it to her; it was highly valuable because she right. ended up getting into a great medical school as a result of that, you know, early experience, you know, in in a lab. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely valuable to her. Not sure why nobody else wanted the job. Maybe they didn't even know about it. Now, how about something about grit and persistence? Yeah. So um, there, there are a, a, a number. Um, one of them that. Uh, kind of near and dear to me because it's somebody that, uh, that, that, that lives you're not too far from me here, um, a young woman who um, learned to learn gymnastics as a child. And one of the first moves that you think of when you think of gymnastics is called a kip. And, it's, and uh, you won't recognize the name, but you'd know it if you saw it. It's that oh, move yeah. that they use on the, the uh, uneven bars, and it's that one where they jump up, grab the high bar, turn themselves upside down, and they're hanging upside down under the bar, and then in what to me looks like a complete disregard for the laws of physics, they end up <laughs> flipping themselves upright to where they're now on top of the bar with their legs dangling below. And right. It's a very, very difficult move to learn. In fact, it takes sometimes years to learn. And this young woman um, named Emma, she, uh, she was about to quit because she just couldn't, she didn't think she could do it. And her coach told her, look, you're going to have to try this a thousand times before you get it. Um, and, in fact, she, she couldn't learn it you know, all at one time. She had to learn one part of the move separately from a different part of the move, separately from a different part of the move over the course of months, and then near the end start to put these moves together. And, of course, at the end she, she did learn how to do it, and most gymnasts do if they stick around uh, long enough. Um, but, but imagine this, that she literally, for, for an hour or two a day, for over a year, she spent learning this move that literally takes only three seconds to execute uh, on <laughs> yeah. the uneven bars. And it, it, it just took that many tries. And so here she was, a seven- or eight-year-old girl, and she learned at that age the, the value of persistence and grit. Uh, and some of the things most worthy of being achieved happen because you don't give up. And you know, I, I just know that with my own kids and probably myself as a kid, we try a new sport or a new, a new anything two or three times, if, and if we're not great at it, we walk away. And just imagine how, how few people would be good at anything if they gave up that early. Yeah. 
You know, I think that's happening more and more, though, that kids are giving up, and partly because we keep telling them how great they are, and they don't want to disappoint us by being anything less than great, so they don't try new things right. as much the, as they could. The interesting could. thing about her, she, she went on to do a number of amazing things, and, and, but at several points in her life, in college, it happened again, and then in the workforce, it happened again, that there were skills she needed in school and in, jo- in her job that took many, many repetitive you know, times to get it right, and so... Some of us don't learn that till we're 40, you know, and she learned it at the age of eight. That would be great for most kids to do that early. This whole conversation is kind of reminding me of the dinners we used to have with some old friends of my parents. It was a guy named Michael Shurion who was what he called a literotherapist, using literature to work with his patients as a, as a psychotherapist. Fascinating stories a guy would have. Paul Smith is the author of Parenting with a Story, Real-Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Paul. We'll get some great stories about a lot of other things, hard work and self-confidence and humility and respect for others. It's just there's really a, a tremendous variety here, and, and we can't wait to hear some more. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was .5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28... Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Paul Smith, the author of Parenting with a Story, Real-Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. So I want to ask you something before we go on. You had all these people telling you stories. You said you had nearly a 1,000 of them. What was one that stands out as the, the one that just completely took you by surprise? Well... I'll tell you the one that made the biggest impact on me personally because okay. it wasn't one that came up in a um, in the interview. Um, it was a story that my my father told me, and he told me just a year and a half ago. Um, and it was a story about him as a child, and it was something that he'd never told me or any of my siblings before. So it was a complete surprise to me. 
but it literally changed the course of my, my life. And I, I was at the point where, I'd, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I'd, I'd had my first book came out uh, two and a half years ago, and then um, I, I was under contract to write the second book. And um, so that takes a lot of time and effort, and, and the speaking engagements that tend to come after the publication of a book was taking up a lot of my time. But I still had this full-time day job, uh, corporate day job, and my wife and kids were probably getting the short end of, of my time and attention at that point. And so I was struggling to decide, do I quit my, my corporate job and pursue writing and, and speaking as a full-time career? And I just I, I was lacking the courage to do that just because, you know, I was only 46 years old at the time, too early for – too young to retire and all that kind of stuff. And so I asked my father for advice, and the, the story that he shared with me was that he said, when I was five years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. He said, I wanted to be a singer you know, like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett. You know, he's, he's 80 years old, so that was his genre. And he said, in fact, the first day of the first grade, the teacher asked if any of us had any special talent. And he said, um, I, of course, raised my hand immediately and said, I can sing. And, of course, she, she immediately invites him to stand up and sing a song to the class, which he should have known was going to happen. And um, <laughs> So he stands up, and, and he, he said, I belted out my favorite song. And he said, I nailed it. You know, he got all the words and all the melody just right, and I was so proud of myself. And um, he said, something amazing happened. All the other students and the teacher stood up, and they applauded me. And he said, that's when I knew for sure this is what I was destined to do with my life. And he, he went on to say, unfortunately, that turned out not just to be the first time in my life I ever sang in front of an audience, but it turned out to be the last. He said, that was 75 years ago, son. And not a day goes by that I don't regret that decision. He said, I just, I never had the courage to go through with it. And he said, someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be 80 years old like me, and it's going to be too late to pursue this dream, and you're going to regret it. And he, he, he literally closed out by, by saying, you know, I'd love to see you achieve your dream, but, but that doesn't mean in your lifetime, son. That means in mine. And I, I mean, you know, tick tock, my dad's 80, and I, you know, that, he just he laid the gauntlet at my feet. To, to quit my job and do this professionally. So quite literally, two days later, I walked into my boss's office, and I resigned from my two-decades-long career to pursue this dream. So that wasn't a story I was expecting, but it absolutely is the most impactful story that I've ever heard in my life. That's really amazing. It, it sounded like from, from reading some of the other stories near that your dad was, was quite a character. There, I mean, there was one of uh, him and you and I guess one of your siblings sitting at a restaurant, and he's ordering quiche. <laughs> Yeah, that was probably my earliest lesson about what it means to be a grown-up, to be to be a man in my case, or a, a woman in a, in a girl's case. Um, it was it was on what was called Secretary's Day. This is back in the mid '80s, and they still called it Secretary's Day back then. But if you'll recall, that was right after this book had come out, a wildly popular book called "Real Men Don't Eat Quiche." And so, even if you hadn't read the book, everybody'd heard the title of that book. And so, uh, at lunch that day. Uh, that had myself, my father, um, and uh, my, him and his secretary. It was Secretary's Day, and we were all at lunch there. I was there with my boss because I was one of the secretaries. I was only 16 or 17 years old. I was literally a file clerk, um, and we were there to have Secretary's Day lunch. And so the, the, the waitress comes around to the table, and she says, we have two options for lunch today. One is a club sandwich, and one is a quiche Lorraine. And like I said, of course, this book had just come out, so all the men at the table – are very quickly ordering the club sandwich, including me, because, of course, I'm 17, so I'm insecure enough in my masculinity as it is. And the women, most of whom were ordering the quiche, well, it gets around to my dad, and he says, you know, I've never had a quiche before. I tell you what, how about you bring me half a quiche and half a club sandwich? That way 
if I don't like the quiche, I still got my half a club sandwich. And the abuse set in immediately. I mean, all the other men at the table just, well, since this is probably a family-friendly program, I'll just say that they were questioning his masculinity in more colorful language than I'd ever heard up to that point in my life, right? Wait, these are and these are spectators in the restaurant, or these are people no, these, sitting these with are you. Other other men that worked at the same company. Oh my! So uh, basically, all of the the managers of the company went to the same restaurant to take their secretaries for lunch that day, and so we're all at this big table together. So you know, we all know, we all know each other, but it was it was still very um, uh, humiliating for me to watch my father get a, you know verbally abused like this by all the other men at the table, and so after three or four minutes of of uh, this abuse, you know. Thank goodness I thought my father finally had had enough, and he called the waitress back over and said, look, I'm sorry, I, I've got to change my order. I, I ordered the half a club sandwich and the half a quiche, and um, I need you to take back that half a club sandwich, and I need you to bring me the entire quiche. And, I mean, it was silent at the table. I mean, the men's, their jaws just dropped. I mean, here they had thought they had, they had abused him into submission with all of their, you know, uh, teasing, and in fact, they did you know the opposite. He 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 got the best of them. What's one that you have told your kids? Yeah. So, um, well, the truth is, I probably told half of these to my kids because they they ask me for them every night now. Which it, once you start telling stories like this to your kids, they'll they'll actually ask you to tell them stories. But w- one of my favorite that I think is the most effective is um, a, about a young man named Chad who was uh, the captain of his high school basketball team. And uh, one night he had all over the all of the other players over at his house for dinner the night before a big game, and they're talking about their strategy for the game the next day. But they're teenage boys, so they're also talking about girls. And one of the girls they were talking about was a young woman we'll just call Jenny, um, and she's a, a very special young lady. She she was in a wheelchair and she was blind in one eye and um, had difficulty speaking, so she had to talk with a, one of those computers synthesized voices oh, like yeah. a Stephen Hawking and a number of other very visible disabilities. And so you can imagine they weren't saying very nice things about her. Well, at some point during the evening, Chad's father actually overheard this conversation, and it was his son, the captain of the team, that actually instigated this conversation. And what he did about it was just brilliant. He, he, he actually showed up at school the next day at lunch, unbeknownst to his son, walks into the cafeteria where, when they're all eating lunch. He goes up to the table and he says, Son, where's the girl? And, of course, Chad immediately knows what he's talking about, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Dad, I'm so sorry for what we said last night, but please don't embarrass me in front of my friends here. And his dad just repeats it, Chad, where's the girl? So he points over to a lonely table somewhere on the other side of the cafeteria where she's probably eating by herself like she probably does every day. And um, he says, all right, I need you to stand up, and you and the rest of the boys here need to follow me over there um, right now. And he coaxes them to do that, and they go sit down, and he just asks Jenny four questions that just come completely changed the way these boys thought about how they should talk about other people. He, he said, he asked her, who's your best friend? And she said, my mom, Stacy. And it probably spoke more about her lack of social network at school than it did about her wonderful relationship with her mom, right? And that probably wasn't lost on those boys. You know, secondly, he said, what does your dad do for a living? She said, I don't know who my father is. Okay. That was a sobering answer. The third question was, how long have you been in a wheelchair? And her answer that she types out on this keyboard was, my whole life. And here are these boys that run up and down on a basketball court every day, and now they realize she's never done that, and she never is going to do that. But the last one just really took the cake. He he said, what is it you dream of and love to do the most? And her answer was, I love listening to the girls cheer at the boys' basketball game. 
their basketball games. The very boys who were making fun of her last night, her favorite thing in the world is to listen to the cheerleaders cheer them on. So if there was any shame left you know, inside them, it was all out at that point. And so, of course, they, they very quickly changed their attitude about Jenny. And, of course, by that time, the entire cafeteria is listening to this conversation because it's so unusual to have a father show up unannounced. And anyway, within a week, Jenny was the honorary captain of the cheerleading squad. And, you know, her, her entire social uh, life changed after that, you know, because of that, those four questions and that hmm. one very bold uh, lunchtime unexpected meeting with dad. Um, wow. And so when I share that story with my kid or with other kids, you know, they, they learn the lesson that, gosh, just getting to, once you know somebody, just a little bit about them personally, it's really hard to make fun of them, you know, before you've walked a mile in their moccasins, right. so to speak. Right. Um, so, so it's very important to, if, if you find yourself, you know, teasing somebody like that, it's probably because you don't know them very well. Get to know them a little bit and then see if you feel differently. Great place to end it. Paul Smith, the author of Parenting with the Story, Real Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. Thanks very much, Paul. Great to have you. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. I want to jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad segment because it deals with something that I think all of us do and probably none of us really should, but we don't even think about it. Dear Mr. Dad, my wife and I have a four-year-old daughter who always seems to be in motion. She's not terribly good at following directions. A few weeks ago, we were out shopping at the mall, and she was running around all over the place. She wasn't really causing too much trouble, but it was pretty crowded, and my wife was getting frustrated. Finally, she grabbed her and said, If you don't stop that running around, we are going to go home and leave you right here. I think it's a bad idea to make threats like that, that you have no intention of carrying out. She says that she was just trying to get her attention. I hate to put you in the middle, but which one of us is right? In two words, you are. You'd be amazed at how often I get this question and how important it is. One of the major jobs of childhood is to test boundaries. Just think of your child as a research scientist who turns every rule into a hypothesis. Hmm, she says, the laws of physics, in other words, mom and dad, say that I'm not allowed to do that, but I wonder what would happen if I did. The only way for any self-respecting scientist can test the hypothesis is to break the rule and see what happens. If, like the laws of physics, the threatened consequences actually materialize, the boundaries you set will make her feel safe. Plus, she'll feel secure knowing that when you give her a warning of any kind, if, then, she'd better listen up. Of course, she'll still test your limits, as any good researcher would. That's her job. But be careful. Too many boundaries may make her feel so trapped that the only way out is to test as many boundaries as possible. 
If you're not consistent in enforcing the rules, your threats may be successful in the short run. In other words, you'll stop running around in the store for a couple of minutes. But long term, she'll learn that it's okay to ignore you. How many times have you given a last warning and then followed up with another last warning and maybe one or two more? Eventually, your child may come to see your warnings as suggestions or invitations. Just think of all the completely crazy things we tell our kids. Stop shooting Nerf guns in the house because you'll put somebody's eyes out. Or eating too many carrots will turn your skin orange. Or swallowing cherry pits will make a tree grow in your stomach. If you do A, B, or C, you'll fall down and break your neck. If you do D, E, or F, I'll take away your dessert for the rest of your life. You know, that kind of thing. We just do it over and over again. Your daughter knows perfectly well that you're not going to abandon her in the store, that a tree is not really going to grow in her stomach, and that you really won't take away her dessert for any more than a day or two, and that pretty much nothing you say turns out to be true. The lack of consequences just makes whatever it is you're trying to keep her from doing sound that much more attractive. If you and your wife really want your child to start paying more attention to you, you need to give clear, concise, consistent messages, followed up immediately by logical consequences. For example, if she's drawing on the walls with crayons, you take away the crayons for a week. In other words, the consequence should have something directly to do with the behavior you're trying to stop. If you've got a question or a comment, please do send it over. You can reach us through the website, MrDad.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MrDad, and you can follow us on Facebook as well, Facebook.com slash MrDad. We'll be back next week with another Parents at Play segment or an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Until then, I'm Armin Brunt. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.